Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. Are you ready to get started? No. No. I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to really go back to work today. We just got back from vacation. Jess and I alone took a vacation. It was lovely. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it was the best. We wanted to be there forever and not come back. Yeah, I never want to come back. Except that I'm very sunburned. Sydney is a, a lobster. Correct. We met some people from Boston. So she's a lobster. A lobster. Literally, that was Australian. I slipped into Australian. I don't know why. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I was like, lob, lo- lob, 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 lob. lobster. Yeah, it was so fun. <laughs> Also, this is Malpractice Podcast. Oh, shit. And I'm Jess. (laughs) I'm Sydney. And we're your hosts. And we go to Mexico sometimes. We go to Mexico sometimes. And also, we're recording in the morning. Malpractice in the morning. (laughs) Wow, 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 wow. Wow, 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 wow. I am extremely caffeinated. And that's a Red Bull in my hand, friend. (laughs) Mine is... That company you don't want to give a free um, ad to. No one gets a free ride. I'm going to bleep out Red Bull, too. (laughs) Eric was like, I love that you bleep the name of things that you won't give a free ad to. And I was like, correct. No one gets a free ride. That's hilarious to me, considering how much we talk about other things that we love. Oh, 100%. But I will never allow. We only give a free ride to equality, justice, and feminism. And H-E-B sparkling water. <laughs> that is a fucking fact. We we love H-E-B sparkling water. If you don't live in Texas, H-E-B is the single best grocery brand in the entire world. And I'll fight you if you say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they make this sweetened sparkling water that is the actual tits. Like, it's the <laughs> best thing that the world has ever invented. It's the bee's knee. I stand by that. Oh my god. Can I say it's the tits? I yeah. <laughs> I like tits. Okay. I mean fair. Is that offensive? Are people going to be like you said tits? That's gross. Tits aren't gross. <laughs> I know, but is the word tits gross? That's the word you're concerned about for all the words we say. <laughs> 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 Correct. Yes. My dad was like, I really wish I could play your podcast for your grandma, but she would be very concerned by your language. And I was like, you probably don't want to play this for her. She's not going to like it. This is not your grandmother's podcast, friends. This ain't your grandma's podcast. It ain't my grandma's podcast either. Though I do love your grandma. I do too, but she can't listen to this. No. I mean, physically, she can't listen to it. She has no idea how to access a <laughs> podcast. No one show her, please. No, please, no. No, 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 no. No. Um, our vacation was lovely. A woman told us that we have great booties, which is maybe the highlight of my life. Yeah, that's true. What else? What else happened? Um, 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 uh. She said, do y'all do squats? And I was like, no, baby, I do pizza. <laughs> <laughs> this this is booty by pizza. <laughs> I, I don't know. And sometimes you, I jog. I've never, I've been this way. The occasional jog. Baby, I was born Correct. this way. This ass is a birthright. A birthright. What else? <laughs> what else? I, at the airport, um, I was, Sydney and I were going through customs, mm-hmm. right? 
on the way back. Yeah. And Cindy was like, mm-hmm. I need a third. I wish I had a third hand. And I said, <laughs> oh wouldn't God. it be cool <laughs> if you could, like, bleh, and a third hand would come out like, of your mouth? A, a third hand. Correct. Like, vomit you. up a third hand <laughs> that would help you. And Sydney was like, are you high? <laughs> are you high right now? What are you on? Where could I get some? That's an yeah, amazing that idea. A real idea I had. I like it. I'm... I, I want to put this out there. If you are a scientist and you are capable of that kind of genetic modification, I think that's something that future generations would really benefit from. <laughs> I don't know where that arm is going to be stored in terms of re- your physiology, but I love the idea. It's terrifying in theory, but I'm down. No, it's disgusting, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? You went and saw a movie? I saw... A Quiet Place Part 2. It was very yeah. good. Jess and I watched A Quiet Place Part 1 on the plane. Um, and I listened to an interview that John Krasinski did on Conan O'Brien's podcast. And I was like, you know what I really need to do is listen to or watch A Quiet Place Part 2. So we got back from our trip and Eric and I went and saw it last night. It was so good, y'all. That's a good movie. And it's got uh, Cillian Murphy in it. That short Irish actor that I'm secretly in love with. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, my God. No. He is the guy from Peaky Blinders. Um, what else has he been in that you would know? Crickets, crickets. <laughs> but I never know anybody. I'm sure everybody else will know who they are. Oh, my God. You never know anything. I don't know anything about people. I'm going to find a picture. Okay. I, I wanted to say, Sydney is very gracious to say that I watched A Quiet Place because what I don't like is a scary movie. What I like is to know how everything's going to go before it happens, so I'm not scared. <laughs> so Sydney was watching the movie. She started for me, and I was, like, watching it, you know. But then I would, like, look at her screen, and because it's a quiet place, it's quiet, right? So there are subtitles. <laughs> so I was, like, watching it Correct. right before it would happen to me in case I didn't want to watch it because I was scared. <laughs> And I ended up not finishing it because that shit got scary and I don't want to see it. Jessica does not. I, she hates to be titillated. <laughs> I was scared. And I really love a spoiler. I want to know what happens. She does. She was like, does that kid die? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you. Just watch it. She's like, no, tell me. You have to tell me. <laughs> I love spoilers. I didn't need to see that. Correct. Wait, look at your phone. Oh, this man. You're in love with him? We need a chat. I mean... In love with is a strong word, probably, but I think he's really cool and a good actor, and I like his face. Yeah, but no, you know? I don't think he's that cute. I think he looks like um, his deeply seated. His eyes are crazy. He has crazy eyes. Mm-hmm. Isn't he in that movie about an airplane that he gets stabbed in the neck? I think so. I know yeah. what you're talking Red about. Red eye. I don't know. Red yes. eye. Correct. Red yes. Eye. Right. That's a good movie. I think he's in that. I think he is, too. It is a good movie. I think he's a really good actor, anyway. And Eric was like... Eric always gives me shit for being in love with him, but also he's like 5'7", so... What are you trying to say? I'm 5'2". I'm 5'9". What does that mean? Just, you know. Oh, you're counting him out. Eric doesn't need to worry. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, he'd be way higher on my list if he was taller. That's not... I forgot that y'all had a list. That's just a preference thing. I do not. We do have a list. Everybody has a list. I don't have one. Whether you admit it to your spouse or not, you've got everybody's got a list. I swear to God, I don't have a list. 
Look for it. You should. Where is it? Where is it? Everyone should have a hmm? list. I think it's healthy to have a list. Michelle better not have a list. I think it's healthy to have a list. <laughs> That's not healthy. That's not healthy for you, girl. I'm telling you right You're now. You're like, let me find out. She's got a list I don't know about. Be unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica will kill you. In a fun way, yeah. <laughs> in a fun way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like in a cool, in a cool, normal way. She's, she's here. <laughs> to Big kill you. yikes. Listen. So we have a really cool interview for you today. We are speaking with Lane Raspberry, who is a wiki median in residence at the University of Virginia. If you're like, the fuck is that? Um, City's going to tell you a bit about what that means and how Lane himself describes his role. Correct. So Lane edits Wikipedia articles, specifically those related to health, and he's been doing that since 2008. More significantly, he says he also consults with other entities about how to use Wikipedia in educational outreach. So he's been involved with a number of studies related to the impact of Wikipedia projects in the academic sector. And he says that being a Wikimedian in residence is a communications role in new media. So he helps the university share knowledge with Wikipedia, coordinates research with Wikipedia, and also participates in media distribution. Wikipedia plays a super important role in how we we look at and understand Wikipedia data in terms of like health roles, right? And health context. So I know, I mean, Jess, you can speak to this too, but as a researcher myself, I consult Wikipedia all the time. Yeah, no, I think like when I was teaching, I would tell my kids to go to Wikipedia too, because it's a good starting point. And you're going to learn a lot from Lane. Like he's a really cool advocate for um, just access to information. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Lane. Hi, Lane. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. If you don't mind, could we start with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Oh, thanks, Sydney. Thanks, Jess. Uh, my name's Lane Raspberry. I'm a Wikipedia editor. My role is Wikimedian in residence. I'm at the School of Data Science at the University of Virginia, mm-hmm. which means I'm supporting various researchers and students and whoever, whoever likes uh, to share knowledge in Wikipedia. So trying to improve Wikipedia in Wikipedia's coverage of academic topics and particularly medical topics, according to whatever any researcher's interest is. That's crazy. <laughs> I feel like that's like such a such a job title. Like you can't find it on LinkedIn, <laughs> but like it's out <laughs> right. there. How did you get into that line of work? I've been editing Wikipedia. I edited it for the first time when I was an undergraduate in college. I'm an older millennial now. So we're talking about the, the mid 2000s. And Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, we take everyone. <laughs> I, I saw, so there was the advent of Facebook and the advent of Twitter and the world responding to what to do with all these new internet technologies. And Wikipedia appealed to me because it was, it was nonprofit. There was no advertising in it. And I wanted to explore one of these platforms and I didn't want to explore all of them. And so I started editing Wikipedia. It took a while for me to come to understand what Wikipedia was. I I was editing it. I took a break for a year and then edited it again. And then by about 2008, I was editing Wikipedia every day. 
And the reason why I started editing Wikipedia was to share health information that was important to me. I wanted it to be available mm -hmm. somewhere online. I, I wondered why aren't health expert organizations doing this? And Wikipedia seemed pretty great to me. And I felt like I was finding my audience through Wikipedia. That's so cool. We like, as people who love sharing information, like that's that's our whole reason why we started this podcast. Hmm. What made this, what is, why is this a passion of yours to, to do that? I would say if you ask any Wikipedia that, they're going to tell you some sad story, <laughs> uh, a, a childhood trauma, typically related to, to a library where they were trying to get some kind of information and there was some barrier preventing them from getting the information that they wanted. So some, some people nowadays, they'll say, I was trying to read an article and it was behind a paywall. And yeah. I started questioning, why is it that access to knowledge would, would have such restrictions on it? Or somebody would yeah. say, uh, I, yeah. I remember this book and I was trying to share it with friends online and it's difficult to share paper online. Yep. Why isn't everything digital? Or you have, you have um, children that, mm -hmm their parents will bring them to a library website and they'll say, I want to read this book. And the parent will say, well, actually we have to go to the library to pick it up. And the kid will just wonder why can't I touch the website and start reading the book, the book now. Right. Uh, my own, my own story was that I grew up in a, a rural farming community. I had to bike a long way to get to my, the, the nearest library, which wasn't local, but it was nearest. <laughs> and also where, where I was yeah. doing, growing up in the United States, in Texas, since the library wasn't in my town, I actually needed to pay a library fee to get a library card. So mm. not everyone in the United States has that experiences. Nowadays, more people have access to libraries, mm -hmm. but it used to be that many people paid for access to library services. And this was difficult for me mm -hmm. when I was younger. When I got older and realized that there's some people who live in urban areas and have better access to information than I did mm -hmm. in my rural area. It made me want to edit Wikipedia as a way of reaching people like me who were looking for information but didn't otherwise have access. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know why I didn't know you were from Texas. I didn't either. We are You're both, really in good company. Yeah, we're also from Texas, <laughs> also elder millennials. We're from Texas. <laughs> well, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> hey y'all hey y'all welcome to the <laughs> podcast <laughs> um where where are you from what town i'm from southeast texas right on the border with louisiana at the gulf coast near a town called beaumont on interstate 10 uh, yep we're from nacogdoches all right, so, all right. <laughs> so just hours away which is how things how things go in texas yeah Very true for our listeners who are non-texas residents we're basically from the same area <laughs> <laughs> just a couple hours yeah. away <laughs> we get that we get the same the same issues at least <laughs> yes I fully understand that you mentioned that kind of general access to healthcare information and, and a passion for writing about healthcare was what kind of got you into it was there one specific healthcare concern or one issue that kind of drew you into it or was it just kind of healthcare communication in general it was in general, but there, there was also something in particular. So I grew up in Southeast Texas. The world was a different place where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, it was in the early 2000s that homosexuality was decriminalized in the state mm -hmm. of Texas. And when it was decriminalized in Texas, this was actually a Supreme Court case in the United States. It was decriminalized across the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a gay male. Uh, back 
then there was internet while I was in high school. I was able to get some information, but in general, uh, the world was a different place and concepts of LGBT issues were much different sure. when I was in high school. Sure. And if I wanted information about, uh, so a AIDS was known to be a thing, mm -hmm. but if I wanted information to protect myself, it was hard to access that through even library resources, even through available yeah. public health information. So people, if they don't have access or they won't have, have a personal health issue that maybe they just want information mm -hmm. or context on, that they don't want to discuss it generally, they'll go to the internet for these kind of things. Right. So er, early in my my Wikipedia editing uh, history, I was editing articles about HIV and AIDS. Yeah. Again, imagining that if I share this information in Wikipedia, then other people like me elsewhere in the world could find this. They must have the same questions that I have. And if I sure. find the answer in some sure. book, then I can put that answer in the relevant Wikipedia article and they can also get that answer. So that's that's something else that I've been doing with Wikipedia from the beginning. Yeah. HIV and AIDS and LGBT related health issues. That's, that's such awesome. an important topic. You're an academic hero. I'm just a Wikipedia editor. <laughs> no, not just. Yeah, I've we're from the same Sydney and I've known each other since we were like four years mm -hmm. old from the same small town. And when I came out in high school, mm -hmm. I was like, it was just me <laughs> just out out by myself. And I think like I you have to go to wherever you get the information, yep. right? Yeah. So I think that there are people out there who have had access to those articles you've edited mm -hmm. and made choices based on that information. Yeah. So I would say Academic Hero will send you a little a little sign for your desk. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that people are getting this information, yes. 100%. I think so. I think so. And in the context, too, of, like, since it's Pride Month, it's probably worth bringing up. Like, I think that people who are our age don't understand how stigmatized things like HIV and AIDS probably were. Um, but if you talk to anyone who was around, like, a little bit before we were... Uh, or at least before we were like cognizant adults, right? Like in the 2000s and, and basically any time before that, it's such an important topic that like nobody was talking about, right? Yes. Something else, when I was younger, if I wanted advice, there is a generational gap. So mm -hmm. the generation of gay men older than me, they died. They died, died of HIV largely. And the ones that didn't right. die, they were under a lot of pressure from society. Sure. Uh, perhaps to not sure. be visible. There, there was just so much tension. Yeah. There, was an, there was an AIDS crisis when AIDS existed for 15 years without there being any kind of treatment for it. If you got AIDS, you would die in seven years. Yeah, uh, That's yeah. just how it was. And then around 1995, there, there came to be AIDS drugs. And mm -hmm. there was an uncertain period from maybe 1995 till 2000 where people still didn't know what these drugs were and how effective they would be. There just wasn't popular information about this. And nowadays... People get HIV, but if they do, it's not considered to be the death sentence it, it once was. Yeah. And also, people can ask questions about HIV, have conversations about this, or, or any kind of condition. Nothing's off limits to discuss on the internet nowadays. Right. It doesn't have to be LGBT related, but right. people can just ask questions about anything and there's there's people who will have a conversation and try to get them information. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's also so many more resources surrounding it, um, specifically Wikipedia, mm -hmm. which, according to the article that you sent me, is one of the most consulted health resources in the world with over 155,000 health articles mm -hmm. using 950,000 citations mm -hmm. with 4.8 billion page views in 2013. I'm sure that number is like skyrocketed since then would be my guess yes and so in the context of like this being a 
popular form of health communication, why do you think, and, and you touched on this a little bit, but why do you think it, Wikipedia matters so much specifically for like medical and health information? Wikipedia matters because of its popularity. Uh, I, I get a secondary thing that I could say it's it's popularity also and it has a system of quality control. Mm-hmm. Many people doubt both of those things. They they don't really understand what is the place of Wikipedia in the in the media ecosystem. To, who's using Wikipedia and and why? And also there's this kind of doubt about Wikipedia that since it doesn't come from the government or since it doesn't come from mm-hmm. a hierarchy of authorities, then perhaps its quality is low and consequently it should just be discounted entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unusual nowadays for any public health education organization to include Wikipedia in their public health messaging. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I, I started with HIV, but I've been through a few epidemics in my Wikipedia editing. We're dealing with COVID right now. Sure. There is sure. there is no health organization in the entire world that has established a partnership with Wikipedia to share health information on COVID. So there there are little initiatives here and there where some organizations will appoint a a team or a committee to do something with Wikipedia. But as far as a a high-level partnership with dedicated staff to distribute health information on COVID or or in any any topic through Wikipedia, these things are are just so rare. And I, I shouldn't say zero because maybe there's an organization here that has someone appointed one quarter time for a certain period, but considering the the prominence, the popularity of Wikipedia and its impact on society, I wish that organizations would take Wikipedia as seriously as, for example, they take their Twitter accounts. And I think think it's it's shameful that there's so many branded corporate Twitter accounts. Oh, yeah. And none, none of these organizations are looking at this traffic that's going to Wikipedia and trying to distribute their key health messages through there. That's a really excellent point. Why do you think that is? So you you just dropped some numbers. You were saying 150,000 health articles and then mm-hmm. four four billion page views a year. So there's there's some there's some knowledge gaps and there's some conversation gaps. So as, as a Wikipedia and something that I would like, I would like to sit at the table, a, a podcast like this one, with health representatives mm-hmm. from government and healthcare agencies and say, okay. Everybody put your numbers on the table. I want to know realistically how many people are going to your website? How many people are you you reaching with with the billboards? Mm-hmm. You're buying the radio ads, you know, all these other communication channels. Let's have an open conversation about how much traffic we have. And the reason why we know Wikipedia's traffic is because Wikipedia's got a philosophy. It's part of something called the open movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do free copyright for the media. People donate every image you see. They donate the, the copyright of the sentences that they submit. And, and part of this philosophy of being free and open is that for every single Wikipedia article, Wikipedia every day gives a traffic report of how many people read that article. And if you were to go to, certainly if you were to go to a commercial health publisher or, or any consulting agency and you ask them, can you give us your, your traffic numbers? They're very shy about that because sure. that's part of their business sure. strategy. This is something that they're selling. Mm-hmm. And if you were to, to actually have organizations put their numbers on the table, they might not like how they compare to other people or they they just may not want this this media narrative. I wish there could be more open discussion and transparency about where are people actually going for health information? What are the best channels for reaching audiences of of different demographics? And if if we ever had that conversation, if someone would actually come to the table and sit with Wikipedia or mm-hmm. come to one of our conferences or acknowledge our existence, 
then I, I think there would be advancement. But as yet, it's it's still difficult to have these conversations. You brought up another really interesting point about like open access to information because so I'm a scientist and uh, I, you know, I read academic articles all the time and I spend a lot of time finding ways around paywalls. Mm. People are just now starting to realize how important I think open access to information is. I saw this, um, somebody had screenshotted and posted on Twitter, uh, someone in science, about how open access to science is really important. And it was in a top journal. And that article itself was behind a paywall. You had to pay $35 to read read the article about the importance of open access. (laughs) And so... You know, there's just a layer of irony there. But I also think it's important to note that um, in the article you sent me, doctors, residents, medical students also seem to be using Wikipedia. Like 56% of physicians reported using Wikipedia to learn more about health topics. So it's not just people who are outside of the sort of academic realm or the medical realm. It's people within it, too, who use Wikipedia regularly. And I think that that speaks to the legitimacy. It, it, it says a lot of things. It says that even medical students, they don't frequently want the most technical uh, publications. They want something that's easily digestible to give to orient them to a subject, sure. when, especially right. when, when they're learning things. And uh, mm-hmm. for, for physicians, a lot of times they're not learning from Wikipedia, but they use it for referral. So they read something in Wikipedia, reminds them of, of what they mm-hmm. studied or what they already knew. And they like the outline of mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Also, something about Wikipedia, if there's a, an expert, uh, they can use Wikipedia to help them understand how is the public thinking about something or what's what's a phrasing or a way of explaining something that resonates with the public. Because Wikipedia speaks in a certain voice. It's, it's, a, it's a plain sort of English that's supposed to be mm-hmm. accessible to a general audience. And experts can use Wikipedia to, to try to explain things to, to different people. Uh, about these open access publications, so we could be, one of the biases in, in Wikipedia is that editors are all over the world. Some people have mm. library access to research literature, some people don't. In the case of medical students, they, they can access these kind of papers. Medical schools are, are typically well-funded. They get access to any kind of papers they want. But if you're in a college, you may not have access to these papers. You could be in higher education and still not have access to research right. literature. And of course, if you're right. outside the United uh, United States, supposing you're a doctor, but you're in a lower or middle income country, then still you may not have access to the mm-hmm. top tier journals and you might have to, to seek other forms of access. In, in Wikipedia, and this is, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. It's kind of, the, kind of the way it is. There's been a lot of research asking, what does this bias mean? Because this bias exists not just in Wikipedia, but but all over the place. The bias is in Wikipedia, the editors tend to cite and summarize and include in Wikipedia the views from open access journals more than they summarize the views of, of closed literature. Mm. Uh, so, of course, that's not just going to be Wikipedia. That's going to be journalists as well. So society at large, if, if something's free, those are the sources people tend to read and access and reuse. Sure. Whereas if something sure. has, has barriers to access, it, it's harder for people to circulate those around in the media ecosystem. No, yeah, 100%. If you were to give an elevator pitch to <laughs> to convince uh, someone to utilize Wikipedia for the access to information, mm. what would that elevator pitch be? I would start by saying that Wikipedia is the most requested, published, accessed, and consulted source of 
information, medical information in the world. Its popularity has been proven since its establishment in 2001. So we have 20 years of Wikipedia at this point, and it's been extremely popular since we started measuring the traffic to it, which was in about 2005. And then by about 2007, then there started to be serious research on Wikipedia, quality control, what kind of people are reading it, these kinds of things. Uh, the, the elevator pitch to, to a reader is, I would say that Wikipedia is the best you're going to find on the internet that's free and easily accessible mm -hmm. and covering every topic. It's a great first point. And from Wikipedia, mm -hmm. you can follow links and go to more authoritative sources if you need that. For a public health communication professional, I would say if they've got key messages that they want to share, they're never going to find a less expensive, higher impact communication channel than putting those key messages into Wikipedia just because of that popularity. And do you think because of the number of views and the the number of articles available about health topics, do you think that people are using Wikipedia to make healthcare decisions? Yes, but I, I think a, a higher level question is to what extent do people use the internet to make healthcare decisions? Mm -hmm. There's this this conception especially in the wealthier countries like the United States, that when people make healthcare decisions, they do that in consultation with their doctor. Mm. This is totally a fantasy. Right. No one has enough time to talk with their doctor as much as they want. You certainly can't call or email your doctor to, to chit chat about health conditions. When people yeah. are making decisions, they, they read a bit, they talk with their friends and family, they spend time thinking alone. And the, the time that you spend with your doctor is just such a small part of that. You get to ask your doctor a few questions, but that's not the entirety of the, the, the decision-making process. Right. Consequently, if your decision-making process includes any kind of internet search, you're, you're going to different websites, but people who make internet search about diseases, drugs, medical conditions, treatments, therapies, you're going to find Wikipedia because all, yeah. the, all the major search engines... All, all outlets point into, into Wikipedia articles about different things. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're a believer that research informs, consumer research informs healthcare decisions, and if you're a believer that consumers use internet search, then you should be a believer that Wikipedia is a, a part of informing healthcare decisions. Yeah, that makes sense. I can't believe there aren't more partnerships with Wikipedia because like, for example, I had my second COVID shot and my lymph node here was so swollen. Like on our Zoom, we were recording and Sydney was like, yeah, I can literally mm -hmm. see it. And of course me, what do I do? I Google it. It's so of course I have cancer right? and like go kind of panicked into the like depths of the internet mm -hmm. and it was ac actually wikipedia that i found like what it could be that kind of like paused me and i took i went to the doctor you know and it was fine it was just like a reaction from the vaccine but people are going to go to wikipedia like the the idea that they're not going to use it as uh at least a starting point for research is ridiculous right i can confirm for you <laughs> that in the entirety of the world in the, the, the thousands of Wikipedians in my network, which is part of a network of hundreds of thousands of Wikipedia editors, we haven't identified a single health organization in the entire world that employs one full-time Wikipedian. It just, it just doesn't happen anywhere in the world. That and is so surprising. I, it, 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 so it's never dumb. happened. Yeah. yeah. That's that so dumb. It, it, it's, 
it's inexplicable to me. I've spent a lot of years wondering, am I the crazy one? Because I've been an advocate for Wikipedia for a long time yeah. thinking, guys, do you see these numbers? Do you see these numbers? Yes. And, and did you know about the internet? Did you, do you see these other websites, how popular they are? Yeah. So why, why treat Wikipedia differently from the other major media platforms? And I, I don't have a good explanation for that. It's like weird snobbery, right? I feel like it's like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, this is not, but it's, I, when I taught, I used to teach um, AP US history. They were like, can we use Wikipedia? I'm like, yes, <laughs> use it as a source, like read about things on Wikipedia. It's like a weird, I don't, I don't know. That is very, that is dumb. That's like a missed up, a huge missed opportunity for them in the, the space of healthcare mm-hmm. communication. Like that is a missed opportunity. You're not yeah, the crazy 100%. one. We're crazy too. If you are, Thank you. <laughs> we're in on it. Yeah. So to me, it's like people worried about the reliability, I think, of Wikipedia as a source. But can you tell us a little bit more about who is contributing and what goes into making sure that the information on the website is reliable? How does it become publicly accessible? How do you make sure it's easy to read? Things like that. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize a, a couple of organizations that actually do employ some people to do significant Wikipedia work. It's not as, as much as I would like, but there is a, there's a Wikimedian at the Centers for Disease Control so it's not not as bleak as I've, I've said uh, in an organization called the uh, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. Mm-hmm. So this this person is contributing uh, a, a lot to Wikipedia. Uh, it's not a not a full time editor. They're doing a great job for what they're doing. So we we do have some some government health care organizations in some places that are putting some amount of of time and staff and, and long term investment in Wikipedia. Not as much as I'd like, but I'm, I'm thankful for that. There's another organization that I'm going to call out and thank, uh, Cochrane. This is a nonprofit medical organization. They, Cochrane organizes the not original research, but something called review mm-hmm. articles. Mm-hmm. They organize people to read the published research, uh, 10 papers, 100 papers, maybe more papers, uh, somehow combine all the data. And this is challenging to do because the data comes from different kinds of studies, but somehow they synthesized all the data. And then the, mm-hmm. they'll publish a review. What does the entire, if you combine these hundred papers, what's the conclusion oh, wow. that you draw from them? Yeah. So Cochrane, yeah. Cochrane yeah. does this. So there's, there's uh, for, for many years, there's been someone in Cochrane part-time who's been suggesting that various re- review articles should be integrated into Wikipedia. Thank, thankful for that. And health organizations behind the, behind the scenes, like the one I mentioned, uh, more common than editing Wikipedia directly, they'll do some trainings, they'll do some workshops, and especially they provide data sets mm. in anticipation, and this is very wise, in anticipation of becoming t- new technology enabling editing Wikipedia at scale. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, mm-hmm. supposing you, you search in Wikipedia and you see there's some medical guideline, it was published five years ago, and you know that a new one's come out. Will there ever be automation to suggest a Wikipedia this is the replacement for that five-year-old paper. Please update that Wikipedia article with the, with this new information and new research. So that 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 kind of thing is happening. Okay. Now, as as far as Wikipedia editors, I mentioned before, if you talk with Wikipedia editors, most of them have some some sob story in their past where they said, "I really regretted not having access to information. It made me an activist. Now I'm editing mm-hmm. Wikipedia." Some other motivations. There there are people who just come to Wikipedia. It's for them, fun or relaxation in the same way that some people might go to Facebook or Instagram or browse whatever 
the media platform of the day is. <laughs> Wikipedia has a way of, of gamifying editing where somebody can step out of their workplace, load up some kind of application of their choice. There's, there's many for editing Wikipedia. And though Wikipedia will present them with a problem or challenge. What do you think of this? Should we keep it? Should we get rid of it? How do we handle this, this policy or guideline or editorial issue? They'll think about it for 30 seconds, draft out something for a couple of minutes. And that's a Wikipedia edit for mm-hmm. them. And it's very satisfying to see this done. There's a sort of gamification in Wikipedia. So there's a, a subset of editors who are doing that. So I, th- these, are, these are common stories that you hear. Of course, Wikipedia's uh, got a very diverse community of, of editors. People in different countries and language communities and different regions of the world will have their own reasons yeah. for contributing. But th- those are just some of the commonalities that I've observed. And do you think people also feel like a responsibility to edit a topic that they know a lot about? Sometimes yes, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Sometimes experts come to Wikipedia specifically to avoid their field of expertise and to edit anything <laughs> anything other than that. So I've, I've okay. heard, that, heard that story. Perhaps more than people editing in their field of expertise, people editing in a, a field of interest that's a hobby. Okay. So not uncommon to see experts in Wikipedia. That is so cool. Doing other things. That's so interesting. How would you handle or how would any uh, editor handle the inclusion of information that maybe isn't supported by scientific research, like alternative medicine? Like how do you handle writing a page about something like that? It's difficult. Uh, So uh, concerning alternative medicine, there's public perceptions. There's a certain amount of academic research many publications that are not academic that we could potentially cite. Wikipedia's policy is to look to librarians for guidance on judging what's reliable and ought to be cited and what's less reliable and ought to be avoided. Uh, Many Wikipedians uh, either have at least an undergraduate education or maybe they are students in undergraduate education and there's some familiarity with the college experience and college level research. So maybe not advanced research, Mm -hmm. but we at least teach people what does it mean to go to the library? What does it mean to talk to a librarian? What does it mean to look at the available sources and choose one that you think is higher quality than the others? How do you make these kind of assessments? What does it mean to make a citation? Does it, to what extent can you put your own personal interpretation on something? To what extent do you need to change text so that you're not committing plagiarism? We, we really emphasize this kind of understanding that, that an undergraduate would have. Now, regarding things like, um, let's say, acupuncture, chiropractic, Ayurveda, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, when we started editing these medical topics, it took us a few years to come to some kind of consensus when have we seen the best academic research in these fields? When have people put the best available sources on the table? And I, I thought, and a lot of Wikipedia editors just thought, maybe, maybe there's something more to this. Surely when you have so many people involved in, in, in alternative medicine, there must be some scientists, there must be some doctors, there must be some really good research about this. But as time went on and we surveyed the quality of the research, In my opinion, it came out quite thin. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I really expected more clinical trials, more academic research, more society endorsements of different kinds of alternative medicine. And and we're getting to the point where we're saying we've been looking for this stuff for five or or 10 years from now. I don't think there's any evidence that exists. And I think what Wikipedia is reporting is really 
the, the scientific and medical consensus, which was kind of unusual yeah. to think that it takes a platform like Wikipedia to convene a medical consensus because who else except Wikipedia can ask every medical expert in every single <laughs> country of the world continually for 10 years and say, okay, does anybody have any objections to this? And right. we, we've had these right. open forums where anybody, if they have an objection, they can post things. And among Wikipedia's medical articles, we, we have places for people to make complaints, suggestions, editorial requests. I haven't run the numbers, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that all, any topic on alternative medicine or the segment of alternative medicine, I would, I would guess that's the most trafficked uh, segment of medicine in terms of hmm. editorial contribution hmm. and editorial request. We have so many people saying, are you, are you sure that this doesn't work? Or surely yeah. there's better research. Yeah. Or why don't you cite better research? And at, at this point, when people make complaints about alternative medicine, we're pretty quick. We're saying... We think we've checked everything right. in the world. What do you got? Help us. Yes, help us. And e even when we're having expert societies complain that we're not representing their professionals or their field, at this point, we're saying, okay, you, you want to have a talk with us? Let's talk in public. Let's let's talk about the sources. You you give yeah. us the best you have, and, and let's have a conversation about this. Uh, that's We haven't got mainstream health organizations to talk with this in public. We also haven't got the alternative expert organizations to talk with this in public, which is unfortunate. I really wish we could yep. convene this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like discourse about that would be super interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like since they're being so, those articles are being so heavily trafficked, I feel like lots of people obviously have like a vested interest in learning more about it. Right. Yeah. Um, what are some of the most like controversial and or popular articles that, that you see or that you've worked on? I, I do feel bad about alternative medicine, especially things like Ayurveda. I, I wonder to what extent is there information? So this is traditional Indian medicine. I wonder mm. uh, to what extent is Wikipedia's English language bias really suppressing, suppressing mm. this field? Because we, right. in India, there's speakers of many languages and there's culture gaps. And also, I, I just wonder, I just wonder if there's a bit of abuse or Western bias or neglect in here. Um, <laughs> an, a, another controversial area where I have no sympathy whatsoever is the, the, the tobacco industry okay. doing <laughs> everything but saying smoke more cigarettes for your good health. Uh, there's a lot of shenanigans that go on in any Wikipedia article relating to cigarettes or e-cigarettes or vaping. Which I think and, they would still be doing that if they hadn't been required to legally stop doing that in like the 80s. <laughs> I, I'm really not sure. It's it's really hard for us. I, anyone can edit Wikipedia. We don't check anyone's credentials. Mm -hmm. I don't. It's not that no one's going to call it anybody else on Wikipedia. <laughs> but there, there's there's a lot of suspicious editing around e-cigarettes, promotion of e-cigarettes. Uh, the articles are super detailed. Mm -hmm. It's not just, and Wikipedia will never be better than the academic sources which it's citing. And frankly, I'm a bit disappointed that health organizations aren't more forceful and clear in saying things about e-cigarettes. Because if there was more clarity, again, in the outside public health educational ecosystem, then that clarity would Wikipedia could reflect and mirror that that clarity. Right. So where there's where there's a lack of clarity mm. elsewhere outside of Wikipedia, there's also a lack of clarity in Wikipedia. Sure. I, yeah. There's nothing you guys can you guys can do about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if someone heard this and um, thought this is a really cool job and they would love to do something like this, what what type of path would you suggest people taking? Uh, a path in the, the opposite direction. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy what, what I'm doing. I, I was a Wikipedia editor for many years as a volunteer. I spent a lot of time editing Wikipedia. Um, before I ever got a job. When I got a job as a Wikipedia editor, I was the first person to get such a job. So I, I got hired on in 2012 as a full-time Wikipedia editor. That's amazing. For a nonprofit organization to edit, to edit health articles. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, a, it was a lot of struggle because people, people still have some bias against Wikipedia. They disparage Wikipedia. They think if you're doing public health communication, shouldn't you be doing anything but Wikipedia? And I just, I had to defend yeah. my position, why, why I'm doing this. So Wikipedia is not a, not a friendly place. But if somebody wanted to pursue a career in health communication, I would recommend that they create accounts in multiple new media platforms, social media, websites, or, or any source of new media. And it doesn't matter if it's established or not. I would say, come to understand a bit about YouTube, a bit about TikTok, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Check out social media web websites in, in other countries, not, not your own country, just to see what is the social media experience outside your country. Keep these accounts up for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that you need to keep them so active, but I, I think it gives context to what does it mean to do digital publication if you have diverse experience in many different online communities and publishing channels. Yeah, 100%. So we read about you, uh, that your interests include consumer access to information, clinical research, community engagement in media, open content, and then coffee. So our last question, um, before we leave like an open floor and say if there's anything you want to leave our listeners with, because we love coffee. So we we need to know how you take your coffee. I, I take my coffee with good company. So more important than the, like the coffee itself is the conversation you you have with the person you're enjoying it with. And whenever possible, it, it's good to have coffee with friends, but it's good to have coffee with people with whom you don't necessarily agree mm-hmm. or people who have differing viewpoints or people with whom you've had a conflict. So if I'm ever in a conflict with someone on Wikipedia, and these things happen, especially in online environments where you're not seeing Mm. someone's eyes face to face you're not having natural human communication and there's a lot of misunderstandings and i would say whenever you you have a misunderstanding it's it's easier now in the context of covid more people are doing online meetings Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have a misunderstanding with somebody invite them for coffee and try to talk to them online Uh, that's going to be the best kind of coffee you're going to have wow that may be the best answer i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally gonna steal that (laughs) same that was awesome Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. We're super excited to hear your perspective, and you have a really, really cool job. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks.